Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Well, it's all Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, AM 1150, or perhaps you're listening to iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever else this this show ends up online. Welcome. Great to be here today, as always. I wanted to give a quick update before we talk with our guest today, who is somebody who I had on the show way back in 2009, um, Tim Persip. So our guest is uh, Judy Fredono with Surf Dog Ricochet. Before I welcome Judy, I wanted to give you guys an update because uh, just a couple weeks ago, I talked with Tim Percival about, uh, um, you know, disaster preparedness and also how best to support regions that are impacted by uh, natural disaster. And our show was after uh, the the Houston Hurricane Harvey and, uh, you know, that impacted the Houston area. And then since then, of course, we are now, um, media is more focusing on Florida and um, Irma and, and all of that. And I just wanted to, to let you guys know, Tim actually was deployed down to Houston. He's down there now working in the shelters and helping um, helping with all of that. And then he said... He may actually go from there uh, once he's finished there. Um, he may actually go to Florida as well. I've gotten a, a photo of him, and he's keeping me posted, and he's doing well, and he's already threatening to bring home some dogs that he's come in contact with that need homes. So I uh, just um, wanted to mention that and to just send him um, well wishes and safe travels, and he said there's several other people from Washington State and, of course, all over the country who are down there helping. So just, you know, thanking them for their help uh, in recovering from these these pretty terrible storms. And um, speaking of waves, um, in, a, in a positive note, uh, we have Judy Fredono, who is the uh, human half of the Surf Dog Ricochet team. Judy, welcome back to the show. Thank you. So it was episode number 43, and we are at like 446, I think, now. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Ricochet was, um, now this was in December of 2009 that I spoke with you the first time. Um, how, and Ricochet is a golden retriever who you um, had intended to be a service dog and had trained for 18 months to be a service dog, but... At about nine months of age, her her drive towards birds showed up, and she just wasn't cut out for service work. However, you discovered surface work, uh, so surfing. And since yeah. then, you know, you guys are still at it. How old is Ricochet now, if she doesn't mind you sharing? Right. Um, <laughs> she is nine and three-quarter years old. Good She'll girl. She'll be 10 in January. So. Okay. Yeah, coming up to 10. So yeah. the time just flew by. Yeah. Um, and when we spoke back in December of 2009, she was just pretty much starting out, I think. Mm -hmm. um, that summer in August of 2009 is when she jumped on a surfboard with Patrick Iveson, who at the time was 14 years old and um, quadriplegic. And 
he was an adaptive surfer and she surfed and she kind of took the initiative upon herself to jump on the board with him and she came to life in the water that day and and I was able to see this is what she really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So she's been surfing with people who are disabled ever since that day. And Patrick is now a college graduate, and he's, mm. I think, 22. So, yeah, time flies by. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so a lot has happened since we initially spoke. Yeah, she and, was just getting going. Yeah, so... and. She's been continuing with the surfing all along. And then um, probably about five and a half to six years ago, we started working with a program through Positive Teams, which is the organization that Ricochet has her therapy dog certification from. She does goal-directed therapy with their organization. Mm -hmm. And part of that, one of the programs is called Canine Inspired Community Reintegration. And it's through the Naval Hospital here in San Diego. And it's the recreational therapy department coupled up with the therapy dogs from Positive Team. And the dogs are handled by the service members. They're still active duty service members who have PTSD or traumatic brain injuries or some other issue where they feel canine therapy would help them. Mm-hmm. So that's a six-week program once a week for two hours where we go out in the community with the service member where they are handling the dogs and us volunteers are just kind of there um, explaining anything if our dog is doing something or um, giving them some suggestions or helping them through. So a lot of her work since then has been with veterans and, and service members who have PTSD mm-hmm. Um Kids with special needs. Here she is. And that would be, yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming that's her. Actually, it was two of them. It's her and we have a puppy that's almost a year old. Uh-huh. Um, kind of following in her paw steps now. So Nice. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so she's been working with kids with special needs and veterans and um, people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the work she does is, not on the surfboard, but um, she uh, does a lot of work kind of um, communicating, but not speaking, but a lot of communication um, with these individuals. Mm-hmm. And through that, she's kind of done a lot of what we call pause on healing. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of the um, the population that she seems to be able to connect with the most are um, individuals with PTSD and then kids with autism. Mm. And basically what she does is she kind of goes into their world and, and knows what their issues are. And what I've learned since we've been doing that is the way that dogs communicate um, is way more than what we may have originally thought mm-hmm. where that they, their body language, obviously, but I think there's a whole spiritual side um, to how dogs communicate with us. And that's something that I've learned with her. And I have seen the transformation among those with PTSD. So 
basically uh, we just stay alert to their anxiety or their pain or triggers. And the way that she alerts is she plants. She'll stop and, and then plant, basically giving the person the opportunity to kind of um, assess the environment that they're in and what may be there that would trigger a flashback or something. Mm-hmm. And through that, I'm able to ask them questions based on Ricochet's behavior. And then they're able then to kind of go deeper within themselves to to a place of healing where only dogs can reach, mm-hmm. that I believe only dogs can reach. So that's a lot of what she does now. Um, she's still surf, but for the most part, it's, it's this, this ability that dogs have that we, I don't know that we always knew, and I don't even know what to call it sometimes, what she does. There's, I've never seen another dog do something to the extent that she does. I think all dogs do what she does, but we miss it because they're very subtle. Mm-hmm. And we often think that dogs are misbehaving when they're really trying to tell us something. So I think a lot of dogs get kind of discouraged because we're not listening to them and then just kind of give up and, and don't continue doing that. There's a lot of behaviors that dogs do, especially with PTSD, where they are either comforting the person, alerting the person, um, help, trying to help them reduce their anxiety levels. So dogs serve a huge purpose in that population. So because Ricochet is so obvious in her behavior, I'm able to see now the more subtleties in other dogs. But I do believe that all dogs have this capacity. And it, it's almost more of a spiritual kind of place that they go to and the and the deep subconscious of the person that they're able to read and help that person heal by mm-hmm. going deeper. Yeah. I know what you mean because there is like a magic and I, I think about um, last year um, when it was um, National Hospice Month and we were talking about hospice therapy dogs mm-hmm. and there was um, it was was it JJ, the hospice therapy dog, and his, uh, her, actually, um, a handler and owner was um, talking about how she just, like, she was like, I, you know, basically, like, let me do my job. Like, she would go, and she would position herself here, and then she would follow the gurney out. I mean, it was just like, there's a magic there, and I, I know, like, where you've witnessed over and over and over again with with Ricochet, who started her career, you know, like from the moment she jumped onto Patrick's surfboard at the end, which was not planned. They were like, she was on her surfboard, he was on his. Right. And right at the end of their ride, she jumped over and was like, look. And then it was like, you know, she kind of like took it from there, right? And then, so it really does seem like for, for dogs who are, um, I guess meant for this type of work, they it's like they really know what they're doing and they they take the lead and we're smart to know that and and observe and watch and listen and learn from them and witness that connection that they have. And to be clear, Ricochet's work is as a therapy dog, not as a service dog. Um, with the 
in her program, the program Canine Inspired Community Integration. Is that right? Yes. So one of yeah, the things she's a therapy dog. Yeah. So and that means that she's out with you and the individual. So in this case, veteran with uh, PTSD or traumatic brain injury, um, sort of um, helping them to uh, be comfortable out in the world again. And one of the things that I feel sensitive to, and I'd be curious to hear your perspective on this um, since you've been working and have had so much experience with service dogs as well as therapy dogs is I feel like there are some situations where it's not appropriate for a service dog to, you know, to be with someone who's maybe too compromised and, and the dog, I think some, in some cases too much responsibility is put on the dog. And, and I worry about, you know, uh, you know, training, I just, you know, training a dog to recognize, for example, um, someone who's having a, a flashback or two, and then it's kind of like a fine line as far as um, defining the tasks and, and take making sure that we're taking care of the dog and that the dog's not taking care of the person too much in a human world. Do you, do you get what I'm talking about? No, I do for sure, but I think the dog is going to do it anyway because that's how dogs are. They pick up on us. They know us. They know our emotions. They, they're going to feel and respond to it anyway. And what we teach, the, the this program is pretty different than any other therapy dog program because it's, it's actually goal-directed. So we work with the recreational therapy department, and it's part of their, um, their training, or not training, um, therapy plan. So the... Uh, the military, these service members, are actually the ones handling the dogs. Where typically, typical therapy dogs are handled by their owner. They may go into a nursing home or a school or a hospital. So it's a little bit different because we're actually working with the therapist mm-hmm. for, with these um, individuals. So they're actually handling the dogs. And one of the one of the main things that people, especially um, in my experience with the service members and veterans, one of the main um, uh, symptoms is hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. So dogs are hypervigilant by nature. A dog knows everything that's going on in their environment. If something changes, their body language changes. So what we teach the service members is that if you pay attention to your dog, you don't need to be hypervigilant. If they're not hypervigilant, they're less anxious. So then the dog, all the, all the dog has to do is be themselves. Mm-hmm. And if the service member is watching their dog and there's no threat in the environment, the dog is not is going to be relaxed and whatever. If somebody walks up from behind, the dog may get up, the dog may wag its tail, it may flick its ear, it could do a number of different things to let you know that something changed in your environment. However, a flick of an ear is that the dog recognized that change, but it's not a threat because they didn't really do much. They just flicked their ear. Now, if they got up, there may be somebody in the environment that's walking toward them. So a lot of it is just really paying attention to the dog, which mm-hmm. takes a lot of 
um, pressure off the person, and then the dog isn't picking up that anxiety because the dog is just doing what they do normally. Mm-hmm. But that's what I see more of. Now, when the dogs that are being trained as service dogs are more task-oriented, um, being trained something to either turn a light on before the person walks in the door or waking them up during a nightmare or things like that. Um, but I, and what I'm speaking of that these, that dogs do naturally, any dog does it. Their pet dog does it. Doesn't have to be a service dog. Doesn't have to be an emotional support dog. It could be their own dog. So what we're pointing out to them is just what their dog is communicating. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I have so many examples of Ricochet and what she's, how she's communicated, and she's so obviously obvious in her communication that it's easy for people to learn from her. So, for instance, um, she was working with a female Marine, and as a service dog trainer, I would teach people that the dog needs to be unobtrusive, so not blocking aisles, kind of close to your body, this and that. And we were in an area of, like I think, a, a Lowe's hardware store, one of those, Yep. Hard, I don't know what they call them. But, um, and she, Ricochet was at the end of her leash, which the Marine was holding, and blocking an aisle. So I would normally say, you need to put your dog next to you. The dog is blocking the aisle. But after what, everything I've learned, I said to her, are men your triggers? And I asked her that question because a man was approaching. So in that in that scenario, by not correcting Ricochet's behavior, but interpreting it, what she was doing was giving this woman more personal space because when I asked that question, she said, yes, I have been sexually assaulted three times. Mm-hmm. So that is... I kind of liken it to um, guide dogs, where they they learn, um, what do they call it, Um, disobedience. Intelligent disobedience. Yes, intelligent disobedience. Mm -hmm. So that the dog, maybe they're trying to cross the street, but the dog's like, no, there's a big hole there, and the dog won't move. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. So the dog just instinctively or magically, because I don't have an answer for how they do it, I just see that they do. Mm-hmm. So when we're correcting those behaviors, we think they made me think they're doing something wrong or they're misbehaving or, you know, we've got our our systems down of how we're going to train and this is how a service dog should behave and so forth. Mm-hmm. But in that situation, Ricochet was right in what she was communicating. She gave us a very good piece of information. What do you think is the distinction between a dog who would sense... Um, his or her handler's anxiety and do what you just described versus a dog who would sense his or her handler's anxiety or fear and actually react to it. Cause that's something that I see a lot in pet dogs with people who like, like uh, re- uh, dogs reactive towards other dogs, for example, or, and then the owner, uh, you know, has a, the breathing changes, all these things that we don't even are aware are necessarily aware of that the dogs pick up on as you're talking about, but that dog doesn't have the temperament to be a service dog and is actually going to, for example, bark and lunge when they pick up on their owner's fear versus be calm and grounded 
like a dog who's intentionally bred to be a service dog, like a guide dog or like Ricochet, who started training when she was, you know, like seven days old or something like that. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely correct. Not every dog is meant to be a service dog. Ricochet is a good example. She, you know, she's, mm-hmm. she's a wonderful dog, but she likes to chase things. So at that time, back then, I never even thought of placing her with someone who had PTSD. I didn't even know, know much about it. Mm-hmm. But she would be fine with someone like that because they're able-bodied and, you know, they can manage her. Whereas somebody in a wheelchair, I, I couldn't in good faith place her. So there are dogs that aren't appropriate for sure. Um, Ricochet is not a task-oriented dog either, so she wouldn't be good in a, a, as a service dog for somebody who needs you to pick something up for them. Mm-hmm. She doesn't do that. Um, so certainly there are dogs that, that are reactive, or you know, it's, and it's their personality as well as what they pick up from the person. However, let's say we have you know we have a service member who has PTSD and. Um, they're at home and something triggers uh, anxiety attack or whatever, even if their own dog is a reactive dog or barks in public or whatever it may do, the dog can still give them information or help them in that moment um, that they're going through that anxiety. For instance, a lot of times dogs will lick your face, and that's a way for them to calm you. Um, Eye contact is huge with releasing the oxytocin in the brain, to reduce anxiety. Mm-hmm. So it's, and a lot of it is also the match, how you match up the person and the dog. Mm-hmm. So a service dog is going to be matched with somebody whose personality would complement each other and then certainly what their needs are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are, I, there's a lot of dogs out there now being called service dogs, whether they are or they're not, and are not behaving appropriately. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you probably heard. Um, the emotional support dog who bit some guy's face on the plane. Mm. So we're kind of putting with all, you know, all these training programs that are popping up that may not be credentialed or really maybe they know dog training, but they don't know PTSD or vice versa. Mm-hmm. So it is, it's a complicated type of a thing that really should take a lot of thought when a yeah. dog is being placed with an individual yeah. well and you like a ricochet for example and i think this is um you know in my experience with service dogs as well is uh you know you got 18 months into it before you really were like okay this isn't going to work out and so if somebody for example goes to a shelter and a- adopts a dog with the idea that this dog is going to be my service dog and then the likelihood of that person getting a year into training and being able to make the decision of, you know what, this dog is not cut out for that job, but, but that person has invested, you know, a year's worth of time, emotion, money, energy, you know, and, and has this attachment. And then to be like, you know what, scratch that, going to have to start over. And so I think... That's one one way that dogs can be, you know, I mean, everybody, like I always say, so one of the things that I've repeated over, over the years is like dogs are unemployed. Dogs want to have, you know, a job to do. But that's a very general statement. So Ricochet, for example, I remember you said like, 
or in, and then you said again in, in this um, show, but I remember in the first one, you were like, you know, she just would kind of tune out, would be doing task training, and she was just like, meh, you know. But then you you saw the magic happen when she was at the beach and, and with Patrick, and where she, it's not that she doesn't want to work, it's just that it's like a specific type of job. And I think we can appreciate that. Like, I think people have different strengths and weaknesses, and I love public speaking, for example, and that would be most people's nightmare, you know? So it's yeah. kind of like what fits each individual. And, you know, you know, I just love how tuned in you have been to her this whole time. And I think just in general, honoring dogs for who they are and yeah. and being able to read, you know, this, you know, this isn't a good fit for this dog, but that same dog is going to excel in scent detection maybe because of that strong you know um so it's i really believe that dogs are here for a purpose Mm -hmm. and not just yes they want to work i believe that as well but i think there's more to it there's a deeper meaning to it and i mentioned earlier spiritual i really believe dogs are here for a specific purpose and we humans have our own agendas and just like I did when I said, because she's going to be a service dog, and I didn't listen to her for like a year and a half until I finally realized, oh, this is what you're here for. Mm-hmm. And then once I made that realization and she showed me in the water that day, everything changed. Mm-hmm. So it, there may be some dogs that are here to only be with one person, or there may be dogs here that want to be therapy dogs for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And with Ricochet, like I said, once I listen to her and I, I recognize her purpose and it's becoming clearer and clearer every year, we recently got, well, a year ago, how fast time goes, a puppy. She's going to be a year <laughs> old on Saturday. Oh. Th- this puppy, when I tried to get her to come in our swimming pool, was petrified, would not even go in it, near it. Mm-hmm. Now... See her instinct and how, where it changes, I don't know. But what she is showing me and what she is telling me that she wants to do is she wants to rescue people in the water. Hmm. Because if somebody's splashing in the water, she's over there in a second trying to bring them back. Hmm. So, you know, we've given her ropes and things like that to kind of play around with. And she does it at the beach. She does it anywhere. So me, I'm like, okay, I guess I'll learn about water rescue. Cause <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I'm kind of following her purpose. So because now she showed me a purpose, I'm even more convinced that dogs do come here with a purpose because Ricochet did and now Corey. I was able to recognize it way sooner in my puppy than Ricochet because I'm aware of it now and I believe all this stuff and learned everything. So she's not probably going to do official water rescue because she would need an able-bodied handler that was also in rescue, and I'm not. Right. But what she will do is work with kids, um, special needs kids that are taking swimming lessons or maybe afraid of the water or whatever it is, mm-hmm. but she can actually assist them mm-hmm. um, in the water. So, again, that's not something I would have planned, but I'm honoring her purpose, and through honoring her purpose, I learned so much more. Yeah. And the magic. You, you use, you've used the word magic a couple times. Yeah. I always call it, I say dogs are magical beings. Yeah. I don't have answers for a lot of the things they do, but I know they heal, and I know that they are 
powerful beings if we allow it mm-hmm. and let them be who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they feel like angels, and there's so many examples yes, where I just feel like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're of another realm. I, that's what I feel. Yeah. Well, it is certainly a unique partnership that we have on this planet, and uh, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our supporters. Uh, One thing that our dogs and Ricochet have in common is a love of goat's milk, so we'll be hearing from St. John Creamery (laughs) during this break. I wish I could send you some, Judy, but it's frozen and they're local, but when I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, so, because Ricochet actually surfed with a goat. Yeah, I know. I saw that. That's how I know. So, <laughs> and we'll, she was drinking the goat milk. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Well, we'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Looking for an easy way to give your dog's food a boost in nutrition? Or maybe your dog has a sensitive digestive tract, itchy skin, or is just a picky eater. We've had such great success feeding St. John Creamery raw goat's milk to our pack, and I recommend it to my clients all the time. You can get raw goat's milk for your dog all over the country, but if you live in Western Washington, be sure it's St. John Creamery you reach for in the freezer section of your local independent pet supply store. You can also pick up your milk at drop locations around the area. Visit stjohncreamery.com to learn more. That's stjohncreamery.com. Your dogs will love you for it. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to the Northwest School of Animal Massage on Vashon Island, we cover the world of animals. This week, September 17th, it's a Behavior Training and Healing Sunday with me. As an animal behavior therapist and trainer, I can help you understand your animal friends and resolve any problems. We'll have open phone lines throughout the show, so plan to give me a call with your questions or any animal-related topic on your mind. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Eric, people ask me to help them with all sorts of doggy challenges. I can only imagine. Oh yeah, dogs jumping on guests, new puppy questions, behavioral challenges like fear and aggression, even dog food sensitivities, you name it, and I've probably worked with it. But can you help people even if they don't live in Seattle? Absolutely. I've had great success with phone consultations and have even Skyped with people and their dogs from all over the country. Every dog should be approached as a unique individual. I've talked about this over and over again on the show. That's one of the parts of working with dog training and behavior that I love the most. Every client is different. If you're listening and you need help with your dog, just get in touch. I'd love to get you pointed in the right direction and answer all of your questions. Email me, Host at dogradioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes. Host at dogradioshow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. <laughs> Want to hear something different from talk radio? Keep your dial on Alternative Talk 1150. And now, back to the dog show with Julie Forbes. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. We're back talking with Judy Ferdono, who's the human half of the team of Ricochet, 
Surf Dog Ricochet was her claim to fame, but she has been up to a lot more than surfing, in addition to surfing with uh, disabled kids um, in the last eight years since we talked to you first. Judy, welcome back to the dog show. Thank you. So Ricochet is going to be 10 in January. She's a golden retriever. And you are the owner founder of a company called Puppy Prodigies. And you've um, start training, um, you know, and it's appropriate training, but uh, it's neonatal and and early learning. So uh, I think, was it 13 days old or something like that? And and there's a lot of information on this website. I found, um, so Ricochet's website is surfdogricochet.com. And then your Puppy Prodigies website is Puppy Prodigies. Is that .org or .com? I think you can get to it either way. Either way, okay. But I would say .org. Okay. Puppyprodigies.org. And there's a whole bunch of really interesting information about um, brain development and those early stages that puppies go through from their first weeks before um, a lot of people get a dog if they're going through a breeder. But then one of your... um, I remember you talked about in our last show was um, being a resource for like, for example, shelters who might get um, a pregnant mom dog come in and then ha- she would actually have her puppies in the shelter or or having a, a, a litter of, of, you know, days old puppies brought to a shelter and to really equip shelters and rescue groups also with this information about what they can do to help set these dogs up for success in in this time that we don't get back. Um, right. Before we get into that, though, <laughs> I did have some questions still for you about Ricochet because when we talked, she was really kind of just getting started in her career, and it's been almost eight years since then. And I know you guys have, have branched out and are doing a lot of other stuff that we were talking about in the first segment in addition to her actually surfing with people um she's doing a lot of of therapy dog work otherwise and um really great stuff and if you've missed any of this any part of this show or if you'd like to find all of our 446 now i think episodes you can find them all as a free podcast on itunes they are archived on our website, which is dogradioshow.com. And we also post our episodes um, to our Facebook page via SoundCloud. Um, and our Facebook page is The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. So lots of ways to listen. Um, so you have learned a lot. And we were talking about this in the first segment, Judy, about um, really watching Ricochet work her magic. And and read people and know what they need and, and how you've become better, uh, you know, a better handler in knowing when to kind of follow her lead rather than think that she's, um, you know, not listening or like, Hey, you're supposed to be over here. Why are you over there? And then you're like, Oh, you're reading that the person you're helping right now, you know, is having a reaction. So, you know, all that stuff. How have you seen, ricochet like i i assume you know i'm a lot better at the my profession now versus eight years ago right so like how have you observed her 
grow or or change or you know um if you have i mean i'm assuming you have but maybe i'm wrong about that like have you seen her work differently over the years as she's matured and had the benefit of experience uh no i think ricochet has always done what she does i think it was me mm-hmm. who had to grow and learn just like anybody else who has a dog that wants to get to this point mm-hmm. because the dogs are always doing this. Um, when she, we were at odds for a good year because she was shut down in training. Now that I've learned, I understand why she was, is because she was so adamant that she was going to do this work that no matter what I wanted her to do as a service dog, she wasn't interested. So she was resisted. And until that day, and in the on the on the water, when I saw this dog come back to life, mm-hmm. then I knew. Okay, well that's why she was this way for the whole year. Yeah. And it was me that was saying, no, you have to be a service dog. Mm-hmm. So once I let go of that, and now with the new puppy, as I mentioned, yes, I want this new puppy to be a service dog too because I have a disability. I would like her to help me, mm-hmm. and she probably will. But that is not her main purpose for being on this earth. Mm-hmm. It is to help other people, just like Ricochet. Mm-hmm. So it's me that is learning. And I, I think, and maybe she's changed in that life is easier for her now because I do understand what she's saying and I do value her input. So maybe it's easier. Mm-hmm. And maybe she's happier. I don't know. I mean, you talked earlier about how sometimes you could see a service dog mirroring the anxiety of their person with PTSD. Mm-hmm. When Ricochet is with a person with PTSD, her body language does not is not about her. The way that her she alerts and that she's telling me something, she uses her body, but it's not her. Anxiety. It's not her stress. Right. She's not taking that, that part sense. of it on. Yeah. Yeah. Like she takes it. She takes it on because she's trying to show me, but it doesn't affect her. I don't right. know how to exactly say it. So, for instance, there was one gentleman that we worked with. Uh, I think another Marine, and he was really probably the most intense person we ever worked with. And the way that she alerts is she plants. So for this guy, he could barely take a step without her planting. So this one particular day, we were at like an outside mall, and she was planting, and um, she would look at me. She was licking her lips. Things that dogs do when they are stressed, she was showing me, but it wasn't her stress. And how do I know? Basically, it's because of the fluidity of her body. The rest of her body was not rigid. She was licking her lips, but yet she was, um, it wasn't hers. And I don't know exactly how to explain how I know this. I think it's just because of the level of experience I've had now with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were things that, even the puppy today, um, we were in the pool and someone was working with her and helping me train her because I need two people if we're going to do rescue. Mm-hmm. Um, 
or mock rescues, whatever. But at one point, the puppy kind of climbed up on her and wanted to be held. And then they just stood in the water. And I, and I asked the woman, I'm like, are you, are you okay? Like, is everything good? Because after reading Ricochet for so long, I thought this puppy was trying to tell me something. And what I got from it was that she doesn't want to really do rescue. She wants to help children. And by having her calm like that in the water with a child who has autism that is having a breakdown mm-hmm. or um, that she would be able to really bring that child into that calm place that she is. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to watch what these what dogs do naturally. It's a different kind of water rescue. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, you could look at yeah. it like they're not, you know, I'm help. I'm drowning. I'm going to co- go get you and pull you in. But it would be a, a um, an individual who might be just needing some support or companionship or encouragement to kind of get in the water. And and that the dog is going to help them through that in a similar way that that ricochet works yeah. with with veterans. Have you ever have you ever witnessed a rick- ricochet have a response like a um fear or anxiety response that was hers yeah uh-huh. she's afraid of um pop noises gunshots um bubble wrap uh-huh. um, she doesn't like loud she doesn't like speakers she doesn't like to be in like a warehouse type environment i and I think it has to do with sound the way the sound bounces off of like a big warehouse type building mm-hmm. so yes i have definitely seen her mm-hmm. and she uses planting to communicate with me for other things too mm-hmm. so it's me who has to interpret it mm-hmm. I'm she uses c- the same form of communication right but it's for different things different so context one day yeah. at the beach when we were surfing she didn't want to go back down to the beach she didn't want to get back in the water and i realized oh wait we've been using a surfboard that we don't normally use so I took her by her surfboard. She jumped right on it and was ready to go. Yeah. So it's just being able to kind of assess yeah. what is in the environment at that moment and what could it she possibly be trying to tell me. Yeah. Well, I think that as humans in general, you know, I mean, my one of my topics that I'm really passionate about that I just have just finished the creative part of writing a book about is what I've learned in, so my expertise is in dog training and behavior for pet dogs. And in a lot of my work is teaching people how to communicate effectively with their dog. So if we're trying to teach a dog something or, uh, you know, resolve a behavioral challenge or whatever, we need to be able to communicate effectively. And the best way to do that will be to speak the dog's language, not our language. So getting, getting mm-hmm. away from the words, right? And it, there's just so much there that they teach us or can teach us um, about ourselves, our relationship with ourselves, how we bring ourselves then to other relationships in life with other people, um, self-confidence, presence, body language, all this kind of stuff. But I think one thing that we definitely could be better at as humans in general is really listening, you know, like quieting down, slowing down Absolutely. and listen, which does not mean 
you know that saying like we have two ears and one mouth for a reason because you're supposed to you know be listening t- twice as much as mm-hmm. you're actually talking and that's one of the things that i very commonly coach people is to hold like hold on you know slow down less input you know give some input and then watch your dog and read your dog and listen because they're not going to verbally process you know oh blah 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 oh i i thought i did this because Oh, like in Ricochet's case, well, I'm planting my feet because you have the wrong surfboard out there. You know, you're they can't say that to us. So we right. it's up to us to listen in different ways outside of the words. And I think that is just so valuable because they connect us to the parts, you know, we're animals, too. And we just get so wordy and heady and technology moves us so fast. And working with dogs and, and, and being with animals really... I think is an opportunity for us to slow down and connect in really important ways. Yeah. And kids with autism, nonverbal kids with autism, they communicate Mm -hmm. and they communicate really well with dogs and vice versa. And there's a video that someone took slow motion of Ricochet and a boy named Wes with autism. They were surfing on the board, getting close to shore. So they both jumped off. Ricochet immediately turned her head to look at Wes and did not take her eyes off of him until he made eye contact with her. As soon as he made that eye contact, he swam to the beach knowing, okay, he's okay. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you hear kids with autism and the, and the teachers and clinicians will say, you know, you need to make eye contact. Well, they do make eye contact, but it was only for a second. Mm-hmm. But that second of eye contact, was a very powerful communication between the two of them. Mm-hmm. So it's just, dogs just know, and kids just know. Yeah. I don't, it, it, they're, I think it's because they're both so innocent. Yeah. And, they, you know, they're, they don't have all this other stuff going on in their head and other, you know, prejudices or um, issues within themselves and everything else. They're pure, especially, I feel, kids with autism, you know, they're kind of in a different fear as well as dogs are i don't know if they're in the same one but right. i do feel that like they are have something very special about them mm-hmm. i spent two days with temple grandin this past summer oh i'm so jealous <laughs> she's amazing <laughs> yeah. i would love for her to meet ricochet someday yeah i was gonna ask if if uh if she had if no. with your work with autism yeah um yeah, very interesting. The the her brain functions she, the way that uh-huh. she's able to understand animals because she's like I'm a sensory based processor too. I get it, you know. Yep. Um, yeah, and and I think kids with autism are that way as well. Mm-hmm. So even the like a, a, the new puppy, um, she was with us at an event at a adaptive playground. So this one little boy wanted to take her on the slide, and it was like a double slide. So they both slid down, and then right behind them, two other kids came down that had autism, and the puppy went up to each child, like, are you okay? And each child patted her on the head in the exact same way. Mm. So there was some communication. They knew how to do it. They knew what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was so interesting to see that. It seems like there's a common theme in the in the different ways that the dogs bring themselves to these different contexts with people where it helps people feel more comfortable in new situations 
where they might be able to try something new because there's the presence of a dog versus um, maybe not feeling confident enough or safe enough. Does that, is that accurate? Yeah, especially with, um, with PTSD Mm -hmm. because those people typically don't want to go out in public. Yeah. Um, They don't want to be around a crowd. They don't want to make eye contact with people. Uh, But when they have a dog with them, they usually focus on the dog more and people are more interested in the dog. Mm-hmm. So if they have to interact, it's usually because it's talking about the dog. Mm-hmm. The dog serves multi-purposes, but it makes it much easier for someone to go out to, um, I don't know, to a store or whatever it may be with a dog opposed to going alone. Mm-hmm. Your work, um, so your website, you've got two websites and maybe more. So Adam, if I, if, you know, you've got Ricochet's website, which is surfdogricochet.com. Then you have your Puppy Prodigies website, puppyprodigies.org. And uh, anything else you want to, you know, Facebook, Twitter, I know that YouTube, there's all sorts of amazing videos. I posted one of Ricochet's videos on our Facebook page, um, what are some other ways that people can connect with Ricochet through social media, websites, et cetera? Yeah. She's on um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it's all under Surf Dog Ricochet. Okay. So it's easy to find. Yeah. Um, I just interviewed uh, Gregory Burns, who's the author, last week, uh, who's the author of a book called What It's Like to Be a Dog and Other Adventures in Animal Neuroscience. And he's the guy who trained dogs to voluntarily go into an MRI scanner. And, uh, you know, has been able to um, get information about how their brains are working with the benefit of an MRI when they are anticipating something pot like, you know, a, a treat or praise or you know, he's been able to configure it in different ways. But um, so I was I've I've got uh, neurology on the brain, so to speak. <laughs> um, and then you had talk a lot on puppyprodigies.org about puppy brain development. Uh, window of opportunity, you say the most influential time of a puppy's life is between three and six weeks of age. I thought it was really interesting. Um, fear is not present in newborn puppies Fear begins to develop slowly at five weeks and increases gradually until it escalates in the fear imprint period during the eighth week, which I think is such a kind of a kicker because that's a lot of times when puppies get placed. Exactly. um, And people don't necessarily know or are able to kind of expose the dog to novelty, the puppy to novelty. That was a big, a major theme. And me working with dogs of all ages who struggle with novelty and are really reactive, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if we could only have some way to regulate Uh so that all dogs were not only bred responsibly for temperament and and health and all that kind of stuff, but were also so setting them up for success genetically. But then also, you know, having an ideal raising so that when they are placed with a family, Um, you know, whether it's through a rescue or a breeder or shelter, um, that they're set up for success because there's just so many dogs that 
you know, and I live in Seattle, so there's, you know, cars and buses. And, you know, if you've, if you've got a dog who came from a rural environment, they've maybe never seen a bus or, or garbage mm-hmm. trucks and flags and, you know, all of these things that we just take for granted. I mean, speaking of, like, sensory overload, right? Yeah. Um, but there's quite a bit of information about brain development. Um, and one of the things, I had a question for you, because in addition to reactive behavior out in the world, I would say towards other dogs is probably our most common one that we see, and then, you know, reactivity to other things as well when, when out on leash, um, is separation anxiety. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering, is there work that you've done with, you know, in, in, in an ideal setting, like you've got a dog and you're starting training from, you know, days old. Is there work that you do or do you have insight into maybe somebody who's bringing, I mean, these are all generalizations, every dog's different, but when you're bringing a puppy home or a breeder to help a dog be as comfortable as they can be as an individual, um, being away from others you know being alone having a tolerance for being yeah. alone yeah what we typically and in just do, a couple minutes just a couple minutes because yeah. we're almost at the end what we typically do through puppy prodigies is we do actually work with the puppies when they're starting about four or five weeks old where they are separated from the litter for seconds yeah put into a crate um so they start getting used to being alone um, and then obviously the time is increased so that by the time they go home at eight weeks, they're used to being in a crate. Mm-hmm. So that can be done and I think should be done so that the puppy is used to it ahead of time. Right. And like, and again, you do it before the fear period, then it's pretty easy. You know, right. they're going to, they'll squeak and cry when they're in there for just a few seconds. But as time goes on and, and they can hear the little mates, but they're not far away, yeah. but at least. You're starting that separation training, yeah, and you increase it as they, you know, each day or whatever. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's interesting that 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 opportunity that we have at such a young age is so critical, and you don't get it back. It is. Yeah, I know, I know, and it's. I don't think you know. There's some really good breeders out there, but for the most part, I, you know, they'll think like, "Oh yeah, I raised them in my kitchen," and it's just like, "Okay, well that." great but here's all these other things that you can do to help stimulate that brain and keep those neurons firing and Mm -hmm. you know the novelty that you spoke of i think is critical Mm -hmm. to being you know every day i change the puppy pen and the arrangement where things are and such and every day those puppies were so excited to get out there to explore Mm -hmm. so it's really so much that you can do during those first eight weeks yeah well, it's been a pleasure to have you back on the show. I'm Thank so glad you. I'm so glad Ricochet and your one year old chimed in earlier. It was great to hear their voices. Yes. <laughs> um yeah. give her our best and Thank we will you. continue to follow you guys, hopefully for many more years. And um, you know, just all the work that you're doing and and spreading the word and bringing awareness about listening and honoring dogs for who they are and and helping people who are disabled and otherwise compromised. It's just wonderful work. Um, I think you're the greatest, and it's been really great to have you back on the show. 
And we will be back next week live at 2 p.m. Thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You've been listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud.